I think we found that if you stumble across a question in research, you don't just walk past it. You go find an answer to that question. And along the way, you'll probably turn up a couple more questions. So you follow those to their uh, conclusion and they'll lead you to even more stuff. And if you start doing that, you start to realize you're kind of circling back here, there to different places. And after, you know, X hours of research, you've just kind of uncovered the whole thing as it is um, just by answering questions and not walking past them and taking things for granted. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. I am geeking out over today's guests. We have nonfiction writers Josh Clark and Chuck Bryant, who are the duo behind the award-winning tri-weekly podcast, Stuff You Should Know. They've been working together on the show since it began in 2008, and it has become one of the most downloaded podcasts in history. Josh has been writing since childhood, but Stuff You Should Know, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things, was his first book. In 2008, he transitioned from writing for a living to speaking when he started making podcasts, including the long-running Stuff You Should Know and his 10-part series, The End of the World. He's enjoyed being back to writing, but when he's not working, Josh likes to do things that have nothing to do with deadlines or computers. He enjoys riding bikes with his wife, Umi, and their daughter with four legs, Momo, working outdoors, digging and chopping and the like, and mixing up world-class cocktails. Josh's home is wherever Umi and Momo are, mostly between Florida's Space Coast and Atlanta. Charles W. Chuck Bryant is the co-host of The Stuff You Should Know and host of the Movie Crush podcast. Stuff You Should Know is one of the most popular shows in history and has allowed Chuck to spend much of his adult life researching, writing, and talking about some of the most interesting topics on planet Earth. When he's not working, he enjoys reading hardcover books, camping, playing guitar, and singing in his old man band, and spending time with his wife Emily, daughter Ruby, and whatever combination of cats and dogs they have at any given moment. Together, Josh and Chuck have written Stuff Kids Should Know, the mind-blowing histories of almost everything. And here's the synopsis. It's a gut-busting and brain-bursting nonfiction book for young readers. You know the deal. There's language arts, math, science, and history. You have the color-coded folders and notebooks. You know the material, the classic subjects. But why isn't there a stuff that knocks your socks off class or random facts to rock your world? Well, luckily with Stuff Kids Should Know, an incomplete compendium of only the most interesting topics, you will find fascinating stories and facts that will melt your mind. From demolition derbies, to Mr. Potato Head, to the history of facial hair, this book is full of funny, surprising information that sparks curiosity and reveals the magic of knowledge. 
For Josh Clark and Chuck Bryant, the founders of the massively popular podcast Stuff You Should Know, the everyday world can be extraordinary when you dig a little deeper into the whys and the hows. With plenty of clever insights, silly illustrations, and an array of topics, this book digs deeper into stuff we all wish we knew more about. After all, who thought a rock would be a good idea for a pet? Well, let's find out. Well, hello, Chuck Bryant and Josh Clark. Welcome to the Growing Readers podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. So the podcast format is certainly not a new medium for you since you're the host of one of the most downloaded award-winning podcasts in history. Amazing. So how has it felt to switch gears and does it even feel like switching gears to write about and share your knowledge in book format for kids? And Chuck, why don't you kick us off? Uh, well, I, I can say that it definitely feels like switching gears. Um, I'm probably speaking for both of us because we haven't, um, we used to, you know, write these articles that were the basis for the podcast episodes for years and years and years. And then we finally stopped writing those articles. And it, it so, you know, we were a little bit out of practice. So switching gears to writing was definitely, even though we're both writers by, by trade initially, it was a bit of a, uh, um, geez, I don't know how to say it. Not uh, not a gut punch, but uh, it was like, oh boy, I'm a little I'm a little rusty. So uh, it was fun, but it was also definitely a, a change of pace. What about you, Josh? No, I, I couldn't agree more with Chuck. I I think I expected to uh, for both of us to be able to just kind of you know wade in a little more easily, but it's a much different world writing for the web and then writing a book. Yes, they have writing in common, but there's not many more things they have in common beyond that. But I'm really, really glad that we did it. It was one of the cooler things I think I've ever done. And I think we've ever done together too. We've had a bunch of side projects that we've done over the years and writing this book was, I mean, that just, it felt like a real accomplishment, but also, I mean, it hit the bestseller list. It like did everything that you could possibly hope your first book to do. Amazing. And so now you're doing stuff kids should know. And how is that different in terms of presenting a book all the knowledge that you have and presenting it in a book for adults and then now doing this version for kids, what was the sidestep or sort of uh, what did you have what what did you have to think through in terms of presenting this information for kids? Uh, this is Chuck here. I'll go ahead and jump in. It was um, you know, most of our stuff is pretty family friendly in general. The podcast always has been uh, as far as you know, our language and how we talk about things. but um, there are definitely some topics that are more kid friendly and adult friendly. And for uh, the transition to the kids book, we wanted to pull what what worked for kids from the adult version of the book. Um, and then, you know, kidifying those a little bit and then kind of wholesale removing some of the chapters that, you know, it's not like they were it was anything tawdry, but uh, like we had a chapter on uh, J- uh, Jack Kevorkian, the the mercy killer, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, a great topic. but not great for a kid's book necessarily. So kind of just think through stuff like that, like what fits and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, We wanted our young readers to be able to sleep at night after reading our book. (laughs) (laughs) And as a parent, I appreciate that. (laughs) Where's your first 
explore knowledge even come from? Like, were as kids, were you nonfiction fans? Like, like where do you think that this all originated from? And Josh, why don't you answer first? As a kid, I was very much fiction, not nonfiction, as far as um, my reading went. I read just a ton of stuff. Um, I used to love reading. And then I, I grew up a little bit and I read less and less. I felt like the more they put on me in school to read, I had less time to read on my own or I took less time to read on my own. And I made it like that all the way through college. And it wasn't until after college or about around college where I think whatever innate curiosity I had in me just blossomed. And I guess I'm kind of like a living testament that you can't really predict how you're going to turn out at, at a young age necessarily. I remember being in my early 20s and being like, what am I going to do with my life? And uh, I, I think I learned kind of along the way that it it will work out one way or another. It's not, not your whole life's not going to fall apart as as uh, as you age. It usually does the opposite of that. So um, nowadays I read almost exclusively nonfiction, but it's mostly for work. So I have to force myself to read fiction, which isn't that hard. I think forcing myself makes it sound difficult. It's a pleasure, um, but I, I don't have as much time to do it as I like to. So it's kind of flip-flopped, actually. Yeah. Chuck, yeah, what about I, you? I was a fiction kid growing up as well. And uh, in my adult life, got more and more into memoirs and biographies and autobiographies, which I was not into as a kid. But um, I still, it's been a while since I've dusted off a of fiction, uh, like a good novel. And I miss that. So uh, I, I've also done the thing lately where it's it's I've never done in my life where I'm reading a bunch of books at once. I, I used to just get a book and read it through, then go to the next one. But I don't know why I'm not able to finish anything the past couple of years. And so I've got six or seven books that I'm <laughs> reading at once, which is not I know a lot of people do it that way, but I, I, I don't know why I did. I'm not enjoying it. I need to finish them and just kind of go back to the old the old way. I imagine that's actually a hazard of of what you do, Chuck in in and Josh in terms of having so many different books. It's like I imagine especially with the podcast you're always trying to come up with different uh interesting topics to talk about and so you probably do end up going on different tangents and That may uh, be it. Yeah, I certainly suffer from the same issue. I think I I <laughs> also have about seven different books going right now, especially because I have a kiddo uh, right. It's going to be applying for college soon. I've got those oh, kinds goodness. of books and, you know, so all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. I, that brings me to how do you decide what you're going to talk about on the podcast? And how did you decide of all the topics that you've discussed since 2008, what you wanted to put in Stuff Kids Should Know? Um, Josh, let's go with you. Yeah, this is Josh. Um, for For the podcast, we just basically it'll it'll either just come to us on a given week you know um oh i feel like talking about this or i feel like researching this or uh, i found a cool article on this um and that's how we choose our topic each week each of us chooses one topic and then if we record on two days another one of us record uh um chooses another topic um and it's just as random as you know like something that popped up in life to something that's on the news or whatever we're interested in for the book though we definitely were more methodical, put a lot more thought into it. And they were, I knew at least some of them were were things that had been like in the podcast um, list, but just we'd never made a podcast out of them. It just 
there, there was something slightly different about these topics. And um, when we went to go s- select topics for the book, they, the, those very topics stood out, you know, quite clearly. And then now that they're in the book, I, now I feel like they've proven themselves that they can be podcast topics now, weirdly. Um, so, I mean, we'll probably end up making podcasts of all these chapters, but for, for some reason, it felt like they needed to be in book form first, these particular topics. Chuck, do you want to add anything there? No, I agree. I think we've done one. We did one semi-recently that was from the book. Uh, and I think that's the first one we've tackled so far as a podcast. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but it's probably a good idea to do one of those. It serves as a good promotional device as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah Totally. Absolutely. So what's your process for once you decide on a topic? What's your process for researching? And I guess more importantly, and obviously this has become pretty important since the year 2016, is fact checking. So you do your research and how do you fact check? Mm, Well, we uh, like I said earlier, we used to write all of these articles ourselves when we were uh, we started out at the the website HowStuffWorks.com. And that's how the podcast was born. So we were, you know, we had a good background of researching and writing about things back then. Um, we, we eventually, like we said, um, kind of got tired of writing those and uh, eventually wised up and hired some freelance writers to help us out with that sort of same original base format that we use for the show. Because we don't script anything. We just have the same body of uh, research in front of us and just have a conversation about it and record it. It's really that simple. But as far as fact checking, you know, we've kind of learned over the years a few tricks. Uh, In fact, we even did a podcast episode about that. And and I know one thing that we always it's easy to find red flags uh, once you Mm -hmm. know they're out there. And one red flag that we found over the years was if you see the exact same thing worded the exact same way in many different places, your instinct may be, oh, well, that's got to be true. When a lot of times that's not true necessarily, and other people have just copied and pasted and gotten lazy. And so those kind of serve as red flags to investigate and fact check a little further. And when we're when we're researching for the podcast, it's if you just closely read articles and something stands out to you, you're like, that doesn't sound right. Or, wow, that's astounding. That's usually a signal to go double check your find another source or two to, to back that up. And a lot of times it is just simply that astounding. And a lot of other times it's it's clearly just wrong. Um, and you you find that you've just stumbled on this thing that the entire Internet thinks is true and you just realized is not true. And now we get to go out and tell everybody in podcast land that something they believe uh, is true is actually false. It's That's a really fun thing to do. Yeah, I actually something I admire about that I've noticed in both your podcast and in your in um, Stuff Kids Should Know is that when there is maybe a break in the facts, you infuse humor mm-hmm. and and make make light of the fact that you're you're possibly stretching a truth here or or trying to fill in the gap. And I I love that you use humor there. And I I just imagine, I mean, obviously, today is the first day I've ever met you virtually. Uh, I just imagine that maybe this is just a natural attribute of your personalities to add the humor. I mean, it seems to come naturally. I yeah, I think so. I mean, we always when asked to describe the show to people I meet, I always say that, well, it's a it's an educational show said, but I always like to add though, but it's also funny. And, you know, I usually get kind of a puzzled look and I'm like, well, you know, it's it's not a comedy podcast per se, but we we like to bring our little side stories and our anecdotes and 
and make it fun. And I think that it ultimately makes it a little more accessible too. Yeah. Josh, do you want to add anything? I was going to say, I'm sure that clears it up for everybody when you explain it like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're just both, um, we just both kind of see the the humor in most things. Just about everything has something funny about it, if you look closely enough. And I think, I can't imagine us doing the podcast just straight and humorless. I, I don't think we could do it. And I think if we did do it, it would freak our listeners out. So maybe we should try it, like some April Fool's yeah, or something. that would be pretty funny. <laughs> So I'm I'm not quoting verbatim here, but uh, in the author notes of Stuff Kids Should Know, you said that even the most random stuff is interconnected. And I'm wondering if anyone wants to elaborate on that. Chuck, do you want to elaborate on that, that even the most random things can be interconnected? Hmm. I may let Josh handle that because I think that was actually his line. But I will say that we we do find that the world seems to be getting a little smaller, like the more episodes over 15 years that we do, we find ourselves saying a lot more. Oh, wait, we also talked about this thing in that show or a, a person like, boy, this guy, this lady keeps popping up all over the place, you know, whether it's a psychologist or some sort of scientist or something. So that's always fun. Yeah, Pliny the Elder, we found pops oh, yeah. up a lot. The very famous historian from uh, Rome, um, and then Galen, this physician who we figured out yeah. <laughs> probably knew Pliny, which just blew our minds. Um, but yeah, we'll be doing a, a podcast episode, and you know, sometimes it's like section to section. We've done an episode on those things, so it is neat to see how everything is interconnected, and it's kind of taught us that even if you can't see it. We still know it's there, that somehow, some way, everything is connected. We just did an episode on large language models, AI chatbots. And the, the, the reason they know so much stuff is because they've figured out connections that we've not necessarily made yet. And they, I think just in kind of understanding how they work, it just goes to prove that point even further, that everything's connected in ways that we can't necessarily detect. And I just think that's a really neat way to look at the universe. It's not like we came up with it. I'm pretty sure uh, Buddhists have believed that for quite a while before us, but it's cool to to discover that by doing nonfiction research, you know, rather than spirituality. There's a picture book author that's here uh, in Colorado where I am. Her name's Beth Anderson. And she talks a lot uh, when she's creating her nonfiction books about mining for the heart of the story And so it would be one thing for you guys to spill out a bunch of facts, right? That's interesting. But there has to be a level of story to these facts to engage the listener and in the case of your book to engage the reader. So do you have any secrets for once you settle on your topics for, as Beth would say, mining for the heart of the story? That's a great question. Um, uh, we get people that write in a lot and ask for tips, uh, people that are starting their own new shows and stuff like that. And uh, I was e- just emailing with um, a gentleman last week. And one of the things I told him was, you know, whatever you're talking about, try and find a story in there somehow because it's more engaging. And it's it's not so complicated when you just think of it in terms of a a, a traditional three-act kind of structure. Uh, and it actually helps, you know, with the way commercial breaks work in in podcasts, there are two in the middle 
And so you've got it sort of set up in a three-part format anyway. And so if you can just kind of structure it traditionally, like a beginning, middle, and end, like I learned when I was studying journalism in college, right down to, you know, Shakespeare, you know, that sort of basic beginning, middle, end thing, uh, even if it's something super sciencey and there's there's usually a history to it. So we try to, you know, work in order of a timeline, you know, uh, starting at the beginning. And it seems to fall in place story-wise that way. Yeah, I think that adds a storytelling aspect to our podcast. Like, even though it's nonfiction, we're, we're still in a, in a weird way telling the story of that nonfiction thing, you know, that that real thing. The only other thing I would add to that is I think we found that if you stumble across a question in research, you don't just walk past it. You go find an answer to that question. And along the way, you'll probably turn up a couple more questions. So you follow those to their uh, conclusion, and they'll lead you to even more stuff. And if you start doing that, you start to realize you're kind of circling back here, there to different places. And after, you know, X hours of research, you've just kind of uncovered the whole thing as it is, um, just by answering questions and not walking past them and taking things for granted. sort of have a little fun here and I want to work our way through the table of contents. Mm, so okay. I'm going to read the name of a chapter and its subheading <laughs> and I want you to share the first thing that pops into your mind and it can <laughs> either be about the specific topic or it could be something that maybe while you were writing this particular chapter that pops into your mind. So anything, just quick, fun, whatever comes to your mind. So <laughs> the first chapter, chapter one is Mr. Potato Head, America's Toy. Josh? Uh, that Mr. Potato Head actually used to be a potato. Like it I was going to say that. The eyes and the mouth and the nose that came in the box and your parents gave you the potato to stick <laughs> them on, which seems like I, a bad idea, really, if you stop and think about it. That's what I would have said. I knew you were going to say that. That's the, the fact of that chapter for sure. Yeah, and and do either of you own the classic potato head or the Darth Tater? I have a, a class. I have a almost eight year old daughter, so she has a potato head somewhere. Although we may have regifted that to a younger neighbor or something by now. But yeah, we had the classic. We had the classic and the Darth Tater. So all right, okay. <laughs> chapter two: How to get lost and seven ways to stay that way. Chuck. Um, how to get lost? I, I believe. And Josh will probably have to help me out with this one, but um, there was something about the the human. This was a, a while ago, so apologies. But there was something about the human instinct. Is it is it basically wrong from the start, Josh? Where your instinct is to head in a certain direction, and that's probably wrong. I don't remember yeah. what was it. Yeah, I think there's like yes, absolutely. Like no one does what you're supposed to do, which is stay put and let people find you. Yeah. It, it, I think the fascinating thing about it is that people do, they lose their minds in predictable ways. And I think there was like seven different ways in the chapter. Like they'll try to follow a direction or follow like uh, a stream or something like that. And apparently there's been uh, uh, cases where people are lost in the woods and they're so focused on following the stream or the, you know, the North Star, whatever. They'll walk through people's backyards and right. just keep going. 
rather than <laughs> running to that house and saying, please help me, I'm lost in the woods. Um, so I, I, that's, that was a, a really interesting chapter too. That was based on a, a paper we just turned up years back that just kind of mm-hmm. got, you know, added to the list and, and we pulled it out for the book. Chapter three, Demolition Derbies, Why We Love to Watch Things Go Boom. Mm-hmm. Who wants to go? I'll go. I have a personal one. Uh, my mom was an ER nurse when I was growing up, and she worked with a guy named Rosie, a big man, big like teddy bear of a man. And he was a demolition derby driver, like a, re- a real live demolition derby. He would get in cars and, and drive them until they were too wrecked to drive any further. And he may or may not have won. I never got to see one in real life, but just knowing somebody who did that, I, I think probably added some weird layer to my life that I'm not fully aware of. Chapter four, and I'm definitely going with Chuck on this one. Mm. Facial hair, Mm. the long and short of it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this one was interesting because uh, facial hair isn't one of those things where uh, I believe evolutionarily speaking there, I know it can kind of keep your face warm, but I don't think there was like the hugest benefit. Uh, And it, it kind of came around more just for style isn't that right josh yeah for, i think yeah it makes no sense evolutionarily yeah and then just also being amazed at all of the different um kind of funny names you know over the years that that uh like you know the soul patch and the van dyke and uh, they all have fun <laughs> they all have fun names yeah if i if i'm you can tell me if i'm wrong but i believe your style is the chuckers <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's getting a little bit long now that I'm seeing it on the Zoom. I've been keeping it shorter lately. <laughs> All right. Chapter five, back masking when recording backward is moving forward. I, I That one I always associate with Judas Priest because they were the ones who were sued for it. Um, but I, I just remember that from our childhood. That was just one of those things you always carried with you, you know, the part of that weird part of the early 80s where parents were just out of their minds, scared for their children's safety, which is like the polar opposite of what they'd all been like 10 years before. <clears throat> so it was an interesting time to live through that because I was right at that age where my parents were like, you're never listening to Judas Priest ever in your life uh, because of that that whole back masking scandal, which apparently turned out to not be at all true whatsoever. It wasn't until they started accusing people of back masking that people started back masking, which is pretty neat. Yeah, I, I remember, too, for me, that chapter was once, like Josh was saying, the band started sort of messing with the the PMRC, which is the Parents Music Resource Center, which led the charge on stuff like bass mask, back masking and, uh, you know, labeling uh, music as parental advisories and stuff like that. So they started messing with them. And the band that led the charge more than any other uh, was ELO, which was very surprising, <laughs> the Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> probably safe for your listeners who who don't remember or don't know what backmasking is where you record something on a record so that when you play it backwards it it says something it's usually subliminal and usually yeah. uh evil right like a hidden satanic message or something even though <laughs> right. they never were <laughs> yeah all right chapter six aging do we gotta josh is gonna have to take this one i'm aging so i don't remember <laughs> The thing that sticks out to me is that they're actually making progress on not only halting aging, but actually reversing it in mice, um, which is pretty hopeful, actually, you know, that this isn't something that they're they're going to be, you know, messing around with 
a hundred years from now, they might have it within 20 or 50 years on humans to where we just don't have to age any longer. Like we'll, we'll still die. But the, the whole premise of aging is that it's actually a, a disorder, a condition that has to do with your, with actually moving forward in time. But what we think of as aging is like, just wrong. We don't have to do that. We don't have to have a stoop. We don't have to, you know, have our bones turn brittle. And the, the researchers working on that right now are, are trying to make it so we don't do that. I guess we just are running at age 110 and just drop dead or something. Yeah, I will say I am, I'm going to move on to the next chapter. But before I do that particular chapter, chapter six on aging, mm -hmm. I think was the one that that blew my mind the most in terms of the readiness of that science and where they actually are with that right now. It, it blew my mind. And then, of course, I think you put the a dollar amount that gets spent on anti-aging things at the moment. I was like, that is a crazy amount of money that people yeah. spend on that. Well, <laughs> chapter seven, the pet rock, the savior of 1975 or the dumbest toy of the best decade. <laughs> That one was fun. I mean, we, we have quite a few podcast episodes that we've done over the years about either uh, kind of fads or fad toys or just uh, or sometimes just um, like cultural iconic to uh, cultural toys like slinkies and things like that that are still around Mr. Potato Head. But Pet Rocks was definitely one of those where it's a place in time that something like that happens. And it's often inexplicable uh, why people would on mass buy something like a pet rock and and usually fats like that go away kind of as quickly as they enter the scene but they make a lot of money in that year or so that those things are popular so it's always astounding to see how much money people would spend on a rock <laughs> all right chapter eight donuts the history of america's snack food mm. This is far and away my favorite chapter. This was a labor of love when, when we were working on this. But the thing that stands out to me that just kind of like a quick and dirty fact is that donut, D-O-N-U-T, is actually a contraction of donut, D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T. Um, they shortened it so that bakers could put it on their windows. So technically, there should be an apostrophe after dough which would be hilarious if, if we all. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, and my question before we move on to the next chapter is I want to know, and I'll start with you, Chuck, are you a yeasty or a cakey? Uh, boy, I don't eat a lot of donuts, even though I love them. Uh, cause it's just, you know, can't keep doing that your whole life. <laughs> I, I like both a lot. I love a good cake donut though. What about you, Josh? I alternate between the two, one after the other. Yeah. That's a good I move. I'm a yeast donut all the way. Cake's okay. fine. Cake's fine. But the yeast donuts are my favorite. I was going to say, well, then, of course, you know that the Krispy Kreme original glazed is far and away the best yeast donut ever created. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter nine, the Jersey Devil, who is the monster of the Pine Barrens? Uh, I lived in New Jersey for a while, and I used that's where, where I first heard about the legend of the Jersey Devil. This one was kind of fun, and and. It's another one. I've, I think we've done a few podcast episodes about sort of famous legends like that, uh, whether it's, you know, the Yeti or Sasquatch and or uh, Loch Ness Monster. I know we covered and all of them. I sort of looped together. It's, it's just sort of fun that people in history have had enough time to sort of create these, you know, legends of uh, beware of the woods over there because of blank this ghoul or whatever. So I, I just think it's kind of fun. It's usually like fun for kids to to make up these campfire stories or not make up, but kind of 
keep telling, keep these stories alive around the campfire. And that's definitely the case with the with the Jersey Devil. All right. Chapter 10. Trillionaires. Are they possible? And who will it be? The thing that stood out to me was that we figured out that Vladimir Putin is probably the richest person in the world by far. Yeah. But he's so good at hiding his money that that no one knows that really. Um, you have to be a pretty big foreign policy wonk to be um, familiar with that fact. But the other thing about it is that he's apparently stolen basically all of it and just hidden it around the world. So kind of reveals a little a little bit of international intrigue just lying right beneath the surface, you know. Yeah, the fact I loved from that chapter, and and please, somebody's going to have to fact check that I'm remembering it correctly, <laughs> was that the average family to become a, a trillionaire, I think it was something like it would take them 16 million years of just <laughs> earning their average income to become a trillionaire. So clearly, <laughs> it isn't going to happen for the average American family unless we go back to chapter six and work on that, uh, the, the, the aging. That's right. <laughs> So that's how I see random things interconnected. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Chapter 11, the Scotland Yard Crime Museum. Nothing to see here. Mm, what was it that they had there, Josh, that was so I mean, they have so many interesting things there. But I think I remember there being one in their collection. One thing that was really just fascinating. Was it they had, Jack the Ripper related or? Yeah, they have. Um, I can't remember what they have of his, but they do. They have something of from I think they might have the actual what's called the Dear Boss letter, which is oh, uh, right. allegedly a, a letter written by Jack the Ripper to, I think, one of the, the cops chasing him or to the press. I'm not sure. And that's just like the tip of the iceberg. But the worst part about it is you have to be a member of law enforcement to get in. They don't let the general public in. They have this amazing crime museum and the the rest of us can't see it, which drives me crazy. Yeah. I love that actually comes across in the chapter, which I love that you are like, hint, hint, we want to come in and we want to see what's in there. All right. Chapter 12, well, witching the ancient art of guessing with a stick. This is the one that we did a podcast episode on recently, right there in front of my face. Yeah. We turned this into a podcast episode and, you know, well, witching or uh, uh, using a divining rod. Uh, people have been doing it forever. And it's one of those things where, you know, it seems like it shouldn't be a real thing and it's just a bunch of hooey, but it also seems to work. Uh, but then naysayers will say, yeah, but there's water underground everywhere. So if you walk around long enough, you're bound to to hit water if you dig um, deep enough. But also there are we learn there are modern um, utility companies that they will instead of hiring out very expensive people and equipment to to really find the water, they sometimes will pay someone whatever, 20 bucks an hour to go out with their divining rod and see if they can find water on a property. And, uh, you, you know, you and I are paying for that as part of your water bill sometimes. Let's go into chapter 13, dog smells, canine sense and sensibility. The little behind the scenes fact for me is there's an illustration of a, a dog wearing Fritos bags. Uh, yeah. uh, that's That's my dog. That's Momo. That's yeah. just the model for that illustration. <laughs> I never um, actually knew that that was a thing that dogs paws can smell like Fritos. But the second I read it, I was like, yeah, of course they mm -hmm. smell like Fritos. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a weird, it's a bacteria, right? That ends up just sort of smelling like corn chips. 
Yeah, you know? and it's not harmful or anything like that. It just has a weird smell. And it, it's like the perfect kind of fun fact chapter that kids love. So chapter 14, and this is the closing chapter, Child Prodigies, Precocious Mimics, or Tiny Geniuses. Mm. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me about this one that I, it's just a sort of obvious thing that I never really thought about, but child prodigies are child prodigies because they're so much further ahead than their peers. But when they grow up, they they have peers. So it's an interesting transition. And that's why you've seen a lot of um, sort of troubled child prodigies later in life, because they go from literally being peerless to, you know, uh, having peers. Like when they go to college at 14, then they're all the other people are as smart as they are. But um, you know, they're in their, you know, late teens or 20s. So it's a emotional transition that uh, can be can be rough to navigate, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I want to know, and we'll go with you first, Josh, what's your favorite part of the book? And this could be a favorite chapter, just a favorite line, a favorite kind of feature that's in the book. So what's what's a highlight for you? My One of my favorite things is in the getting lost chapter. There's a footnote where it talks about, it references something in the text about um, how you should paint a tree to, to mark your way as you're kind of navigating through the woods. If you're going to lose your mind and, and not stay put anyway, at least try to try to mark these trees. And then in the footnote, it explains exactly how you should mark the tree with it. Exactly the a perfect square using fluorescent day glow paint. Um, and if the square's a little off plumb, then you want to tear that bark off and move on to the next tree and start again. And it's just this weird, dry instruction, set of instructions that if you stop and think about it, they're just totally nuts. And that was the whole point. And if you look at the footnote under that footnote, it says that only I thought that this footnote was funny. And I had to fight every stage of the book to keep that footnote in there. And it finally made it through into the final publication. But I'm, I still laugh at that footnote when I go back and read it. Yeah, I love the footnotes. The footnotes just add so much extra humor. And I feel <laughs> as though the majority of kids in any book that they're reading, and particularly a textbook for school, will, will likely always just forgo reading the mm -hmm. footnotes. But I think that your book will teach them the importance of the footnotes because often there's these little nuggets of gold in there that are just like enhance the whole experience. So I just I love the footnotes in your book. Chuck, what's a highlight for you? Uh, well, I, um, I I loved the illustrations. Uh, you know, the writing of the book was was fun. But like Josh said, it's also it's tough when you're working with editors and revisions and everything. So it was a bit of a slog. One of the really fun parts was because it wasn't on us, was simply working with the design team and laying out the book and what it would look like and feel like. And uh, and our illustrator, Carly Minardo, um, you know, we got a big list of people uh, to choose from and to look through. And it was that was a really fun part. I'm really into design and visual aesthetics in my personal life. And so uh, I, had a, I had a really good time uh, working with Carly. She was awesome. And the illustrations are great and really enhance the book a lot. 
So that was the most fun part for me, I think. I love the little mic icon that denotes where when you're talking about something, there right. is an actual podcast episode. So if kids want to go explore a topic mm -hmm. more, they can go and listen. And again, that brings us back to the the random interconnectedness that, that you know, that podcast topic may be separate to what the chapter is about, but there's more information to, to delve deeper into these different aspects. So I loved that feature as well. I would love to know when... Uh, a kid is done reading Stuff Kids Should Know. What do you hope they've taken away? And Josh, let's go with you. A desire to, to learn more. If kids read our book and go pick up other books because they want to, like we, we kind of got in there somehow, we, we got to them, we kind of taught them that there's a lot of neat stuff to learn in the world. And I mean, that's, I can't imagine doing anything better with a book than that. I totally agree. I mean, it's sort of the um, philosophy of the show is always that we hope it acts as a springboard rather than being kind of the final word on anything uh, that, you know, we give you just enough to to get your curiosity going to where you uh, search for a little bit more. And like Josh said, you know, one question leads to another and track down those answers and just stay curious. Absolutely. Well, while I never want to play against either of you in a game of Trivial Pursuit, I will happily continue listening to your podcast, Stuff You Should Know. And I'm so glad that it has inspired you to want to make the everyday world extraordinary for kids, getting them to dig deeper into the whys and the hows. And I think fueling curious kids with the unique wonders of the world can only ever lead to good things. So thank you so much for writing Stuff Kids Should Know. And thank you so much for being on the Growing Readers podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Stuff Kids Should Know, the mind-blowing histories of almost everything. Josh and Chuck also invite you to listen to their podcast, Stuff You Should Know, on the iHeartRadio app or anywhere you get your podcasts. You'll also find the Growing Readers podcast on all major platforms. Be sure to follow our show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, leave us a review and while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like Stuff Kids Should Know, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.